please stand for the reading of God's word. And again, it's Luke 1, verse 5 through 25, and then skipping over to 57 through 66. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And then skipping over to verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Well, as Mark mentioned, we have entered into the Advent season. If you don't know what that word Advent means, it means arrival. So it's referring to, of course, the arrival 
of our Lord Jesus. And so Advent is this four-week period of waiting with expectation for the arrival. We all probably think of this season as the Christmas season, right? We're in the Christmas season. Technically, in the church calendar, we're not yet in the Christmas season. We're in the Advent season. Christmas season begins on December 25th. Okay, we know the song, the 12 days of Christmas. That's the Christmas season, technically speaking. We are in the Advent season where we are waiting. And uh, my goal this morning is um, to do what Mark has already begun to do for us, to help us enter into uh, the Advent posture of waiting. I want to talk about waiting. I don't even want to really explain it that much. I just want to help us enter into it today. And enter into what does it mean to live with this God uh, who has always been who is eternal, to live within his bigger story that runs according to his timing, not ours. How do we do that as faithful followers of Jesus? And we're going to do that by looking at the story of Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. Primarily, we'll be looking at Zechariah today. We'll look at Elizabeth and Mary next week more. Um, Luke's story, his Christmas story, begins not with uh, Mary and Joseph, but with uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. So, I want to try to enter into their experience this morning as a way of entering into that Advent posture of waiting. So let's talk about Zachariah and Elizabeth for a second. I've got an image of this couple um, for you up here. Here they are. Um, you were introduced to them uh, in verse 5, and they are presented in glowing colors to us. Look at verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. So they come from a wonderful heritage, a wonderful lineage of the priestly tribe, not just priestly in general, but of the tribe of Aaron, specifically uh, his line, his lineage. So a wonderful lineage between these two couple. And not just a great uh, pedigree, but also they are two people of great character. Look at verse 6. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Okay, that's a pretty, <laughs> pretty good description. They've got a great heritage and these wonderfully faithful, this faithful Israelite couple. This glowing picture of them, okay? Wonderful example in first century Judaism. And those two verses don't lead you to expect what is going to come next in verse 7. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Right? So that's one sentence in our Bibles. But let me just suggest that one sentence for us carries a profound disappointment for them. Right? And a, a season of a lot and lot and lot of waiting and that waiting for them, I think, meant two things. There was, as I said, there was a profound disappointment for them. I mean, I want you to just try to enter into their story. At one, at one point, this couple was a young couple, right? In a um, Jewish culture where family is everything in an ancient culture. And so they get married with all the, the hopes and dreams of any first century Jewish couple for a family, for children. And then a year goes by and no children. And then two years and three years goes by. Some of you have walked this journey yourselves. And I imagine there was lots of nights where they would go to bed praying to Yahweh, to their God, Lord, would you provide us with a child? And then another year goes by and they start thinking in terms of months. Maybe this will be the month and maybe this will be the month. Some of you know this journey. Five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years go by. In that ancient culture, prayer after prayer after prayer and all they get from their God is 
Silence, nothing, no answer. It's this profound experience of disappointment. And now they're uh, old, beyond uh, the age of having children. I, I would assume they're not waiting anymore. Now the expectation is gone. And they're no longer waiting. But it's been a time of profound disappointment in their lives, even though this wonderful couple. And I think in that culture, it, it was not just an experience of disappointment. I think it was also the experience of something even deeper, which is something like shame. So if you go to verse 25, look at verse 25. I noticed this. This is after Elizabeth finds out that they're going to have a child. The Lord, she says, the Lord has done this. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace is what my translation has, right? This was not just about disappointment. It was about shame and disgrace and a shame and honor ancient culture where God is seen to be the one who opens the womb. And so you could kind of reverse that. If, if someone, maybe the womb hasn't been opened, maybe there's something going on in this couple that has not allowed this to happen, which is certainly not true theologically, but that was kind of the, the thinking of the day. So this is not only an experience of disappointment, but of shame, of disgrace in a culture that uh, values family above all else. This profound experience of waiting, of disappointment and shame. And, you know, th- their experience of waiting uh, was very similar to Israel's own experience of waiting. Israel was also waiting for a child of their own, right? And Luke does a great job of intentionally weaving together the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth with the story of Israel as a nation. Because Israel was waiting for their own child, right? The child, the Messiah, the king who would come and rescue them from the hand of their enemies, establish his kingdom, bring peace for Israel, And they had had an experience of waiting. The prophets, hundreds of years earlier, had had prophesied about the coming of this child. Let me give you, this is the last prophet in the Old Testament. The last book of the Old Testament says this. God is speaking, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. See, I will send you, this is the final chapter of the Old Testament. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the day of the Lord comes. And they heard that prophecy, and then they waited for a year, five years, 10 years, 50 years, 100 years, 400 years now. It's been 400 years of waiting for this child. 400 years under, now, Roman occupation. And it was a profound experience of disappointment, but it's also a profound experience of shame, being dominated by foreign powers. When they were God's people, they were supposed to stand out among the nations. And so they've had their own experience of waiting. Uh, verse 8 says this. When, uh, once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before the Lord. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of, for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Let me give you a picture here of the altar of incense. This is one rendition of that, of the altar of incense in the temple where uh, Zechariah would have been serving. Uh, the I- incense, of course, represents the prayers of the people going up to God. As the smoke goes up, it's like the prayers of God's people. And Luke makes that connection. The people of Israel are outside praying, right? It says in uh, or was that in verse 10, as the incense goes up. So I think this is a helpful picture, this incense. Uh, it's a good symbol of, of the prayers of Zechariah and Elizabeth that had gone up to God for, for years, for decades, and been unanswered. It's a good symbol of, of the prayers of Israel, of course, who are, the Israelites who are outside. Their, their prayers for a son, for a Messiah that had gone up to God. 
And this morning, what I want to do is I want to add our own prayers and add our own experiences of waiting to this incense. Because as Mark talked about, we all have these areas of disappointment, of waiting, where we're wanting God to, to bring something or to remove something. And it uh, sometimes is so long in coming or maybe never comes in the way that we would hope. And so the prayers just go up and they keep going up and we don't get the answer we're looking for. And I think this, this morning, before we go on with the story, I thought it'd be helpful just to acknowledge um, that we're not really good at waiting these days. I don't know if you noticed that. But, but I would actually suggest that there has never been a culture in the history of the world that has set its people up more to fail than ours when it comes to waiting well. Okay? I mean, it's, we are set up to fail when it comes to waiting well. And there's a couple of reasons for that. I want to just get inside of those for a second. There's some real big philosophical and cultural reasons why we're set up to, to fail when it comes to waiting. We live in this secularized society. We live in what you all have heard by now is this postmodern society, right? And what postmodernity has done is it's deconstructed all the larger narratives that used to shape people's understanding of the world, like the religious or spiritual narratives, that there's a story that is being lived out in the world, right? The God or the gods or whatever that narrative is. And we're part of that longer story. And post-modernity is about the deconstruction of that. There is no one story that applies to everybody. That's a power grab if you try to make that statement, okay? There is no story. And so we're disconnected from a larger story. We're disconnected from tradition and history. We kind of fear authority. You know, we, we're suspicious of all of that. But here's what happens. When you're disconnected from a story, what matters? The answer is the only thing that matters is right now, right? There is no larger story. We don't come from something. We're not moving towards something. So now is all that matters. This moment. I mean, we are raising the now generation, right? This actual generation. This is all that there is. And when now is all that there is, you are much more likely to satisfy your immediate, you know, your gratifications, right? Your, 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 your instant, it's all about instantaneous gratification. This is all that there is. Um, and this, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get happiness and comfort and security. I'm going to get it now. This is all that there is. And anything that becomes an obst- obstacle to that is something to be removed. Well, that doesn't set us up very well to wait, right, in life. So you've got these philosophical things that we don't even realize. This is just part of the the air we're breathing. And then you have some very practical reasons why waiting has become hard for us. Um, and I'm thinking primarily of, of all the technological advances that we get to enjoy that I'm so grateful for, but that don't set us up to, to wait well. Um, I had this really interesting experience the other day. I'm, I'm thinking of things like Amazon, okay? So uh, we, we were at the park. My family's at the park uh, last weekend, and Karen and I are laying on a blanket. It's beautiful, and I've got my sunglasses on the blanket, and our oldest comes running by and just crunches the glasses, yeah, they're Target glasses. Don't worry about it. Um, yeah. Um, but I had this amazing, I was like, I have a phone right here. I can, in about 45 seconds, punch a couple buttons on this phone, and those glasses will be waiting for me tomorrow when I wake up, or, you know, the next day. I mean, that's, that's an amazing reality that no other generation has had. I think of things like uh, Netflix. You know, what do you want to watch? Well, it's right here, Right? I can remember my family, my folks here, uh, we would go, remember like on Friday nights, you'd go, actually go to Blockbuster? You know, I mean, we would spend an hour. Sometimes we'd be family fights. You know, what are we going to watch? It's so hard to decide, you know. You come back two hours later and you're too tired to watch a movie. But, but 
No, I, we loved, actually, we had a great time going to Blockbuster. But, like, what a different experience, right? If you're in physical pain, you can just pop a pill and get out of pain. No century, I mean, that is such a new thing for human beings. You don't have to wait through that pain. Yes, there's still pain that you have to, but in general, you can pop a pain. Um, of course, communication has increased so much. Um, we used to have a thing called snail mail. You'd write letters back and forth, and it would take time, right? Um, you used to leave the office for lunch, and you were not reachable for an hour and a half, right? Or you'd leave at five, and you weren't reachable till the next day at nine, whatever that was. And I was thinking this week, even when we're waiting, we're not waiting anymore, Um, So you actually never wait in the line anymore. You never wait for a friend to arrive at lunch after you because when you're waiting, you're not waiting. You're sitting there on a device and you're distracting yourself. So you're actually not really in a posture of waiting. You're in a posture of distraction and pursuing something else. So I think that those, those things, I think it's just important to acknowledge for ourselves that there has never been a culture that has set its people up more to fail when it comes to waiting than the one we're in. We have a hard time with waiting. It comes uh, very unnaturally to us. And yet life still happens, right? As Mark mentioned. Things happen. Uh, we're stuck in something we want to get at. Something doesn't show up when we want it to. Important things. And we don't really know what to do with that. And so that's what we're talking about today. And I'm, I'm here just to remind us, you know, that we are, we are part of this larger story. It's a grand story. Uh, it's a big story. And the story takes time. And it takes God's timing. And that story requires waiting for us. It's a part of the story. All right, so let's, let's jump back into this, this story. All that to say, all these prayers going up. Um, <laughs> I love this story. Um, so verse 11, beautiful, an answer to these prayers. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. I love, he appears right at the incense, right where these prayers are, are coming up as if to say, I have come in answer to your prayer. And then he actually says that verse 13, don't be afraid, Zachariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth will bear you a son. All those times where you were praying and you thought God wasn't listening. All you got was silence. God was listening. And now in his timing, he is responding to your prayer. And of course, not just Zechariah's prayer, but also all of Israel's prayer for a Messiah. The prayer's been heard. God is responding. And then he goes on, I won't read it, to describe this wonderful answer to his prayers in the son. And the son is going to be a joy and a delight in contrast to the disappointment and shame that they've experienced, they'll experience joy and delight. Um, he is going to be great. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, um, even from birth. And uh, he is going to be the answer to all the, the prophets. And he, he quotes, he'll be in the, peer, uh, the spirit and power of Elijah. That's the fulfillment of that Malachi prophecy that I had up on the screens earlier. So this beautiful answer of a son. Your prayers have been heard. They've always been heard. And now they're being answered in God's time, in God's way. God is listening uh, to their prayers, to Israel's prayers, to our prayers. Uh, And now we come to the low point in Zechariah's life. Uh, Verse 18, Zechariah's response. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Um, I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. I I think this is, um, you know, you get it. Like, this is is incredible. This, This is hard to believe. But he seems to be looking for some kind of sign right then and there. Rather than waiting for the words to be fulfilled in their timing, he's like, I need, I need to take something right now. Like, this is, 
This is a little far-fetched. Give me something that I can see right here, right now. Give me a sign that, that demonstrates the proof of what you're saying. And uh, I love the angel's response to Zechariah here. Uh, verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. <laughs> so um, the last time, you may not know this. I, I was thinking about this this week. The last time we encountered Gabriel was in the book of Daniel, which was written at least 500 years earlier. Okay. So all of a sudden, he realizes he's in the presence of a being who is at least 500 years old, like an ancient, ancient being. And I'd argue he's a lot older than that. But that's, I mean, when you think about that, this being has been around for centuries. He's a very ancient being. Uh, Not only that, uh, I stand in the presence of God, the eternal, all-powerful, omniscient, God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak. Which is to say he puts, Dan, uh, he puts Zechariah in his place, right? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, who are you? Who are you, Zechariah? Right? Like, I've been around since the beginning, and I stand in God's presence. And who are you? And I don't like the way you talk. So <laughs> you're not going to talk for a while, Right? Uh, until my words, here's your sign. Yeah, is that what you said? Here's your sign. Yeah, I thought oh, that's good. Here's your sign. You won't, you won't be able to speak. So I had never thought of this, this, uh, this until this week. How long was Zachariah unable to speak? At least nine months. Right? Silent for nine months. I mean, that's crazy. I'd never thought through that. He was unable to speak for almost a year. He walks out of that temple, unable to speak. He's making signs to the people, right? He returns to his wife in silence. He sleeps with his wife at some point in silence. She conceives. He sees the, 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 this pregnancy developing all in silence. He's unable to say anything. And I just wonder, what did that silence do for him? That's a long time to not be able to say anything. I imagine he processed a lot <laughs> in that time, right? And I, who knows what, what that was exactly. Um, but that's profound. He had waited a long time. He would wait some more before he could speak again. So let's, let's jump to where the story ends. You know, nine plus months later, um, of course, uh, the birth of John and all the relatives are gathered together and, and they're saying he should be called Zechariah after his father. That's what you do in that, that day. And, and, you know, she is saying, no, his name is John. We were told that his name is John. And, and they ask um, silent, you know, Zechariah, what, what is it going to be? And, and he gets out the thing and, and he writes, his name is John. And at the finishing of John, his mouth is opened and he's able to speak. It's like this, you know, this act of, of unfaith <laughs> silenced him. And now this act of faith opens his mouth. And the first things out of his words are, are just praises and, and joy and celebration after nine months of waiting to speak again, seeing these things come to fruition. And he, he, he sings a song in response to this in verse 67. I want to read to you the song of Zechariah. Read along with me and we'll, we'll close his story here. Uh, verse 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of 
of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. It's a beautiful song. Um, It is a salvation song. Uh, I was looking at all the uh, notes on salvation. Verse 69, you've raised up a horn of salvation. Verse 71, salvation from our enemies. Verse 74, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. Verse 77, to bring knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Uh, but what struck me as I was reading it this week uh, in light of our theme was um, all the references to Israel's history and Israel's story that are contained in this song. Verse 69, he's raised up salvation in the house of his servant David, right? That takes us a thousand years back to David, the king, and that one day one would come from his line. Verse 70, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, these things have been said for centuries. Verse 72, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father, Abraham. Well, that takes us back 2,000 years to the calling of Abraham and Sarah. And then verse 78, you maybe wouldn't pick up this reference. Uh, Because of the tender mercy of our God, this phrase here, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. That is an echo of the language of Malachi, that final prophet some four or 500 years earlier. All that to say with this song, we are being drawn into a story. And it is a very ancient story. The birth of John and Jesus is not a new story. It is an old story that is coming to fulfillment. And Zachariah sees this as a fulfillment and he rejoices. So let's leave uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth there for today. We'll pick up again next week with Elizabeth and Mary and their story. But just to sum this up, you have this story of a couple who had been waiting, a story of a nation who had been waiting. And ultimately, this is the story of a God who, who was waiting with them, who was listening to them when they didn't think he was. And, and, who, and his timing is bringing these things to fulfillment as a part of his larger story. So I want to leave you with, with uh, a couple thoughts. Um, they're real simple, obvious. But uh, the first is just to remind us that we live with this God who is eternal, who is ever lasting, who's ancient, who's, who's been around for a while, if I can say it that way. Um, I was thinking of Psalm 90. Let me read to you just the first part of Psalm 90. Listen to this description. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, your God. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by like a watch in the night. This is the Psalm of Moses. You know, a thousand years is like a day for you. We, have, we, we live with this eternal God who doesn't reckon time the way that we reckon time. Uh, we're just blips on the screen, right, of this, this 
long story that he is telling. And we are living within his larger story. We're not just individuals who are disconnected, just living for the present moment. No, we are part of this story that is building towards something, ultimately towards Jesus' second advent, his second arrival, his second coming. But the story takes time to develop. I mean, I, I, again, just I know you've thought about these things before, but I was thinking God waited 400 years after making that prophecy in Malachi before it was fulfilled. 400 years. And I thought, I can remember another 400. <laughs> he waited 400 years to rescue Israel from slavery in Egypt. 400 years, generations. God has now waited 2,000 years since his son's first coming. I can promise you, no one in that first century time, if you'd ask them how long it's going to be, no one would have guessed 2,000 years. Not a chance. That's a long time to wait. But his time, uh, his story um, takes time to develop. That's the way he's, he's seen fit. And his story in our own personal lives takes time too. It has seasons in it. It has ups and downs. It has conflicts and resolutions. Like any good story, they take time. And for whatever reason, Jesus is not going to conform to our instantaneous culture. He just doesn't. It's just the, that's just the reality. And so if we're going to follow him well, we have to learn to wait and learn to wait well. And so what I thought I'd, I'd leave us with is I, I'm not even going to kind of try to explain what waiting well looks like. I think I'm going to leave that to you guys. We'll create a little space. But I just want to remind us of what waiting well produces in our lives. And that's what I want to leave us with, that, that waiting well can actually produce good things in our lives. It's not just a necessary evil that comes from living with a, a God who, you know, his timing is different than ours. It actually, when we wait well, it can produce wonderful things. And I, here's, here's um, three, things that, whoops, uh, three things that I think waiting well produces. Uh, the first is, of course, humility and dependence. Okay? Waiting is a very vulnerable place to be. You ever notice that? Waiting is a very powerless place. Like when you get, when you arrive somewhere before someone else, you're waiting for them at lunch, it's, it kind of stinks to be like just when they show up, just sort of sitting there, just kind of waiting. Like you, you see me, you get on your phone, I'm, you know, I'm, doing, I'm doing stuff, you know, I'm, you're right, I'm, I'm busy, I got stuff to do. Like waiting is a, it's sort of a vulnerable, powerless kind of feeling. And it, that's what it is, right? I, I can't, there's something that I can't fix or something that I can't do. So I'm waiting on you to do something for me. Um, that is, that's a hard place. And we, we like control, right? We like to be able to control outcomes. And waiting is this posture that says, I can't, I can't control this. Um, but that can produce a really good humility in us, a dependence on God. And humility, what humility and dependence do is it produces love and compassion for other people. People that are always in control aren't very loving, right? Humility produces people who are more loving and gracious and kind and compassionate. So I think waiting well can produce the right kind of humility in our lives. I know we don't always like that, but that's a good thing. Uh, Two more. Of course, um, waiting well produces perseverance, right? And perseverance produces character. Um, if God gave us what we wanted right after we asked it every time, we would never produce character, right? We're always trying to teach our kids delayed gratification, right? But we don't like it when that lesson is being taught to us by our Heavenly Father. But it's, a, it, you know, it's painful in the moment. But, but if he gave us everything we wanted the minute we asked, um, there are certain things that just simply wouldn't be produced in us, like patience and, and perseverance and, and character. 
And then finally, and this is the one that, that um, for me has been uh, the most true. I think waiting well, not just waiting, but waiting well can produce a deeper desire for God himself. And here's my own story. My experiences of waiting um, have provided clarity for me for what is in my heart and what my heart um, really loves. So I have had experiences of waiting for something to arrive that I really want to arrive. And in the delay of that, there's these conversations that start happening with God um, where I have to sit with him and go, what if I never get this thing that's been slow, so slow in coming? And God kind of pressing, like, what if you never get this? Um, am I enough for you? Like, am, am I enough? Or do you need to get this thing in order to be happy? And the waiting can kind of bring out that converse, raise that conversation to the surface. What is it that your heart really, really wants? Or the flip side, if, if I'm in something, there's something that I, I want to leave my life. And, and I'm the kind of person, I, I, that will create a lot of anxiety for me when there's conflict, where there's uh, pain that I want to leave. And I'm thinking, I've got to figure out how to get this thing away. But when it sticks around for a while and I have to start living with, maybe this is going to stick around. There's this conversation with God that emerges. What if this sticks around? Um, am I enough? Can you find satisfaction in me? Period. Whether this changes or not. And so I think the waiting can, can purify a desire for God himself. Where we begin to recognize God is our treasure. God is our portion. God is our inheritance. It is God himself that we most want and need. Not just God to fix our lives. But waiting can create that sort of conversation. So uh, with that, I want to leave you with the question for yourself. Um, I never answered it for you, but you get to answer it for yourself. What does wait, faithful waiting look like for you? And, and bring now, bring whatever you thought through as Mark led us through that. What is that thing right now that you're waiting on? Um, what would faithful waiting look like? I'll leave you with this verse from Psalm 27. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait for the Lord. Certainly faithful waiting in some ways, is about not doing things. Sometimes we're not supposed to take matters into our own hands. Sometimes we're not supposed to control the situation in order to let God move in ways that only God can move. But at the same time, waiting is not a passive posture, right? Be strong. Take heart. There are things that we do in waiting. It's a very active experience. It's not passive. So for you, what would it look like to wait well? Let me pray and we'll just leave that with you, and then we'll sing to the Lord. So let's bow and pray. Well, Lord, we all have things in our lives that we want changed and that are not changing as quickly as we would like. That's the human experience. And so I pray even now, as, as some of us in this room sit very painfully with some really hard circumstances, grief, pain, loss, uh, conflict, anxiety. Lord, I pray your spirit would just minister to our hearts in the wait. Help us to stay strong, to take heart. Help, help us to trust you. Uh, help us to know what are the things we should be doing in the wait? What are the things we should not be doing? Lord, develop in us 
the kind of character that will turn us into more loving, faithful people. And Lord, purify our hearts in the weight. Give us this deeper hunger, not just for what you can do in our lives, but for you yourself. Because I think it's only when you yourself are our greatest treasure that we will ever be free. So reveal yourself in the weight. Free our hearts in the weight to experience you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.